0: I found a better map than I had last week, so we'll uh, pop that one up and see if you can find out where we are on here. So we have come with Christian from the City of Destruction. Um, We came last week to the place that I just love to say more than any other place, which is the Slough of Despond. and today we get to Mount Sinai um, as we make our way along the journey that uh, Pilgrim follows. I want to pick up on the the image we were using last Sunday, which is about the joining of the Trinity with humankind in a dance. Now, as we talk about that, I have to tell you something um quite plainly. I can't dance. If you ever saw me, you would know. So many, many years ago when when Annabeth and I um got away from our little children at that time to a place called Harrison Hot Springs in in B.C. Lovely, lovely setting, and it was a spa-like setting, so we were there for two or three days and enjoyed all of the amenities of Harrison Hot Springs. Just a word to the wise, if you go to a place like that and they say there's a massage included, um, I think they were called Helga and Olga. They almost broke our bones, and then they took the towels off us and thrust us into the pool with nothing to cover our shame. So we decided that another time mm, we'd pass on the massage from Olga and Helga. God bless them. But one of the things that was, was really interesting there was that when we looked around, at that time, we were the youngest people in the whole hotel, easily by 40 years. I would say easily by forty years. It was a wonderful place to be. I would like to go to such a place if I could find that gap at this point in my life. But something happened as these folks mingled around, enjoyed their their games, their their meals. Um, when the evening meal was over, these couples went over to a ballroom floor, and they began to dance. Like, they began to do... They could hardly walk during the day, as far as I could tell. But when they get on the dance floor, they moved around with a fluidity and a grace and a beauty. And Annabeth and I looked at each other and said, "Uh uh-oh, we're not going out there. So we grew up in Baptist-like settings where you were supposed actually not to dance. And so it was, um, you know, it was a matter of morality. Um, and so when we have weddings, there's, there's a, a little point in the wedding that we know it's our sign to depart. That is when they either pull back the tables or they begin the music and people begin to dance. And we look at each other and we quickly nudge each other and say, let's get out of here before anybody discovers that we can't dance. I can't dance not because I'm a Christian. I can't dance, first of all, because I'm a white guy. And then there are other reasons that I can't dance. I hope you'll see why that makes sense in a moment. Here is a passage in Romans that is one of the the most difficult and also the most important passages for us to grasp as followers of Christ. See, what happens many, many times um, is we fall back into the The trap that Christian did where he was told by worldly wise men that there was another way than going to the narrow gate and the cross, as we will see, that if he simply did all of the things that you should do, and they were easier to do than the hard way, um, that would be a better path to take. And so here we have him climbing Mount Sinai, right? He's climbing the hill of the law, and it seems almost every time he, he's able to kind of lick one of the commandments, another one pops up, and they're never-ending. And there is the lawmaker at the top with this great gavel who hammers the top of the mountain and threatens to overcome a pilgrim on his journey, or Christian on his journey. And so he experiences what we experience very often in our lives, condemnation. And that's what I want to get at today. I want to to tease out the way in which I am often condemned and you are often condemned. We are often condemned when we revert to a kind of Christianity or a version of Christianity or model of Christianity that is based on getting it done, doing what's right, not doing what's wrong. So here's what Paul says about that. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. I just want to halt with that a little bit. No condemnation. Well, when are we condemned? We're condemned regularly. We're condemned when we look in the mirror. We're condemned when we listen to what we say. We're condemned when we remember what we just did. And we're condemned by others. We're condemned by ourselves. We're condemned by Satan who's always whispering stuff in our ears about you call yourself a Christian. Um, Sometimes I think we feel completely condemned by God. So we assume that God is in heaven with a ledger book. And he's looking down at Heather and he's going, oh my goodness, let's hope Heather gets a few on the asset side or the positive side today. Because she wasn't doing very well yet. I I have no idea what you did yesterday, Heather. But if you want to confess anything, here's the place nothing to confess good good um and condemnation is is the natural result of living with the wrong notions of christianity but i suspect that all of us struggle with getting away from that from getting away from the the model of of doing because you're expected to do and you'll be judged if you won't do You're expected to be, and if you aren't what you should be, then you feel condemned as well. And I think then we often end up saying, this isn't working. I can't do it. Um, In the back of our minds, I think we have God's voice, we think, condemning us and saying, well, that wasn't very good, was it? And we have our own voices that are even louder than God's sometimes, and we're saying, you may as well quit. And not only do we feel condemned by God and ourselves and others, we also condemn the whole process ourselves, and we say, this doesn't work. You know, we we feel like, well, I've tried to live the Christian life for a long time, and honestly, it's not very satisfying. I'm done. I'm, I'm just feeling that there's something either wrong with it or wrong with me, and there's really not much point in carrying on. So we feel condemned. We feel as though some others must have the right version of Christianity or, or the right um, update or the right whatever it is, but I, I don't have it because it doesn't work. I don't work in it. It doesn't work for me. So in my life, there, there have been um, some terrible misadventures on this because some of the ways I've tried to figure that out have to do with there must be more that I haven't gotten yet. So where's the more? So that if I have that, I can finally be what I'm supposed to be, do what I'm supposed to do. So the voices will be quiet. And I'll be able to say, okay, yeah, okay, this version of Christianity is is working for me. So for me, um, two times that came to mind as I was wondering about that this week. Um, When I was in college, a friend and I went to school in Philadelphia. And we came home for the summers. And after my junior year of college, um, I, I was in a place being condemned. I was feeling... I'm I'm a Bible college student, and I feel c- totally contempt. I feel as though I know this stuff, but it doesn't work for me. I know this stuff, but I keep on failing at it. I just keep on messing up. So I went on the search for whatever it was that I didn't have yet, the updated version. My friend Paul and I went together, and we joined up with an older friend of ours who was very wealthy. And this was an interesting story. Um, In Buffalo, there was an evangelist, a guy from Victoria, and he preached this incredible, powerful message of revival every night. And he um, called people to the altar every night. He called them to the altar for various and sundry things. One of them was that they would learn how to speak in tongues. And one night, as this evangelist preached on, and I mean, he, he in terms of a preaching style, he was engaging. There were some other things that you worried about. He carried a gun. <laughs> and you're saying, you worried about that? Yeah, we, we did worry about that. We, we, we bailed him out one night after he'd been arrested for being disorderly and he claimed that it was that some people were mocking him because he was a christian so my friend and i are we rise to that occasion with our other rich friend who could bail him out we could just say sorry no money um and so we bailed him out and i remember driving away with him going this is crazy because this guy seems to me as though he's got whatever it is and yet he gets himself in trouble all the time um at the end of, of the two weeks, I think it was, the, that he had a, um, a revival in Buffalo, he took an offering for the pastor, and he raised enough money in the offering to buy the pastor a Cadillac. So I thought, okay, this version of Christianity maybe could work for me. <laughs> but you know what? I, I don't speak in tongues. Some of you do. Um, It's a lovely gift from God when he gives it. For me, I've tried. Um, I've tried to say the words over and over, and they just come back hollow. And I don't have that gift. But I hunted for that gift for those two weeks. I went forward every night and tried to get the gift. There was nothing wrong, I think, with, with searching for the gift at all. What was wrong was that I was saying, there's something more that I don't have, and that's why I'm condemned more lately probably 10 years ago i was part of a, a movement of it was an english movement that had come to north america and was spinning out some missional endeavors and it was it was a, a lovely thing and i remember one prayer time this was in polly's island in south carolina um that there was a prayer call and i was in one of those continued journeys of mine to say well what's the thing i don't have um what do I have to do? What do I have to get? And so, once again, there was a prayer time when people would kind of pair up and, and pray for one another. And there's this, there's this older Irish fella called Patty, and Patty is a dear man. He's—I saw him on Facebook this morning. He's a great guy. But Patty was praying for me, and Patty's hope was that I would be slain in the spirit. People were being slain in the spirit, and I've seen people slain in the spirit, and I legitimized that slaying in the spirit. But at one point, Paddy looked at me, and he said, go down, you stubborn Irishman. I tried to go down, but I couldn't. Again, there was nothing wrong with looking for an experience of the spirit if there was more for me to have. But what I was doing was I was living out of my condemnation and saying, since I am no good, I must need something else that's going to make me good, that's going to make me better. And I don't know what your version of that is, but I'll guarantee all of us have a version of condemnation. That in our relationships, in our personal lives, in our walk with God, um, we all come to the point of saying, forget it. I can't, I quit, I'm done. So when Paul says, therefore, there's now no condemnation. You see, what he has said before that is your story and my story. He has just said, I am a miserable wretch. Because I agree in my head, I agree in my mind with the law of God. I agree that it's good. But here's the point. What I want to do, I can't do. What I don't want to do, it's what I do. I am a wretch. So he ends up by saying, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? And then he immediately pivots into this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Well, he has just told us of his condemnation, that he can't do what he should, and he can only find himself doing the things he should not do. And now he says, but there's no condemnation. And here's how he qualifies it. For those who are in Christ Jesus. Now watch the language of this because it's, it's, it is really tricky stuff. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit if you have an experience of condemnation then then the best christian from Jesus that maybe ever there was says I was also condemned the same way you are and I'm not anymore because I'm in Christ Jesus and you go I really better understand what that means Um, and he says and it's because the, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death So we've got several laws going on there. Um, He says that there's this law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that has set you free from this other law, and it's all about the law uppercase. uppercase. So how do we work all of that out? So from, from last Sunday, we said one of the ways to explore what God has done in Jesus is to remember that God has always existed in a triune Friendship of joy. A dance of joy. There was no day in the experience of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in eternity, that was not filled with abundant, overflowing joy, happiness, and love. There was nothing, nothing, nothing missing. And along the way, um, God had a plan in mind that he, he wanted others to be in, to be invited to the dance, to be invited to the friendship, right? And he said, there's this this plane of us in heaven. There is this plane of humankind whom we've created on earth. And at the moment, in eternity, there's nothing to join the two. The humankind dance on earth hasn't been given a dance card to the divine dance of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God's eternal purpose was to give us a dance card that said, you're welcome on this dance floor. We long to have you on this dance floor. Or we long for you to be part of this friendship, this intimacy. And Jesus talks about it A lot in these chapters of John um, where he says to the father I I want them to be with me where I am with you so that they can see the glory I had with you from before the foundation of the world and I want I want it to be like this I want it to be you and me and I and you and I and them and them and us and you go what is that Jesus is saying I'm longing for there not to be the chasm between the heavenly dance of the trinity and the human dance of fallen mankind as it turned out to be. Let me paraphrase this, this way. Several times I shook my head as I did this and thought, "No, not, this is nuts, but hey, here it is. You see, the language that we just saw is legal language. There's, you know, the law of sin and death, the law of life in Jesus Christ, the big law, and so on. So it's a Roman culture. And when you're talking to a Roman culture, you need to talk legalese, which is what Paul did very, very, very well. The world of Jesus and the early church was a world that existed in three realms or three cultures. There was the Jewish world that was very religious, There was the Roman world that was very legal, and there was the Greek world that was very philosophical. And so you will see that the writings of the New Testament often sort of feel as though they believe in one of those genres or one of those those cultures. This one is in the legal culture of Rome. And so because of that, you, you find this language that sounds like it belongs in the law court, and it kind of panders to our suspicion that we are guilty, condemned, and there's not much hope for us. Um, and and so, so then Paul sort of re- redresses that. But suppose we were to turn it into a different kind of language, because the arts were tolerated in the early years. Um, and so we're going to turn this into the language of dance. And you're looking at me saying, you just said you can't dance. So here we go. I'm going to use the word dance, and I'm going to also use the word jig. So jig is a bad word in this term. Sorry. For those of you that are Highlanders and jiggers and no, all that, that that's, I'm not trying to be pejorative. But if we make a distinction, there is a dance and there is a jig, and maybe this passage makes sense, pulling it away from the legal context, and we hear this. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the dance of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the jig of sin and of death. For what the tune could not do, so we'll call the law the tune. There's a tune that's playing, and it's a beautiful tune. But the tune can't give you legs for the dance. So... What the tune could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the steps of the tune might be fulfilled in us who do not jig according to the flesh but dance according to the spirit. You can either say, what? Or stand up and clap and say, you should publish that, man. Never mind. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, always one, always three, wanted us to be brought into their company to dance. The problem was that we couldn't qualify for the dance. And so, as I said, it's as though there's um, a meeting in heaven in the chambers. And the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit say, we want man, generically, to come and dance with us. But we can't because he can only jump around in a jig. And when the tune plays, he's condemned because he loves the tune, but he can't dance to it because he's got bad legs or he's got bad moves. So what we're going to have to do is go there and fix him. And the son said, I will go. And the incarnation is the magnificent story of God becoming man. Becoming man forever and ever and ever. And in the person of the son, all of humankind was redeemed and still, as a human, the Son has been brought into the company of the Trinity again. And he has brought with us, with him, all of us as well. And says, here we are. And the Son is now in the presence of the Father and the Spirit as a human. He, he, he appeared sometimes before his incarnation. Um as a theophany, they call it, or a Christophany, but it was never never a body for good. But he came and he took a body forever, so that forever the divine trinity could welcome us, humankind, with his son uh, to come and be part of the incredible dance that he wants to involve us in. So here's the... Doxology of it, really. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again. I'm sorry. You've not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. The spirit of slavery, living with fear. In a legal world, the slave simply must please the master. Do what he's told. Not do what she's told not to do. Cower in fear when the powerful master is in the room. And Paul says, if you want to talk about it in those terms, here's where you are now. You've not received the spirit of slavery, so you don't have to be afraid. And that's the word of the Lord to us this morning. If, you, if you're condemned because you just keep trying and you can't and you keep wanting, but it's not, then you have been given a freedom that says you're not subject to the slavery. You're not to live in fear with punishment over your head. Jesus has already done all of that. Um, and I have to ask, well, what fear does your, or what shape or form does your fear take? Um, we're impressionable, we're impressionable right from when we're kids. Could you not make your dad happy? Could you not get the marks your mom wanted you to have? Did you not look like your friends looked? Were you the wrong background somehow or other from all the people around you and you just feel it? You've lived in fear um, as though you were a slave and you couldn't please the people you wanted to please or the God that you wanted to please and Paul says you've not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons that is the million dollar phrase of this passage you have been adopted as sons adoption in the roman world was was a fixed legal status right here's why you don't have to live in fear because you're not a slave In the back room of the house, you're a child of the master of the house. You're a son of God. You have been adopted into his family. And the result of that is that you cry out, Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic word that comes from the the simplest enunciation of a child um, just repeating the Abba, like dad, dad. And you go, well, That's couldn't you think of something more sophisticated than that? No. Because that's the most profound truth of all of this. Um, When the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are chatting, um, the Father says, hang on a second, I think I hear a voice. Well, who is it? It's one of my children. What are they saying? I don't know, I just heard Abba, so I'm going to listen. When you pray, there's quiet in heaven because your Abba Father says, My son's talking to me. My daughter's talking to me. And nobody dares to come along and say, oh, yeah, well, she's not doing very well after all, is she? She's not pleasing you as much as she ought to, is she? He's not performing up to standard. You go, don't you dare. They are my children, and they are in my dance. Because the son, remember, my son, you went. And... You brought um, condemnation to the to the realm of failure to the flesh, and it's done it's dead and and now you have been given a whole new imagination through it all you may, you maybe remember the old nursery story of the the um, ugly duckling, which has more theological significance than you might think so at least one version of this story is this. Here's this duckling born in the farmyard and spends its whole life pecking around or swimming in the muddy pond of the farmyard. Life doesn't change very much day to day. But in the late afternoon every day, that duckling as it paddles around in the pond looks up in the sky and there is this flock of graceful birds that fly over and they they fly way out to sea and they're white and gleaming and when it's a sunny day and against the blue sky they're the most gorgeous creatures you could imagine and the duckling day by day would wish he could be like one of them but of course he wasn't you're the duckling other people you're sure Get it right, and please God, and everybody else, and themselves. But you're still in the pond, paddling around. But one day, the duckling said, I'm done with this. And he decided to paddle out through the waves to these swans, as it turned out, who had landed in the lake and were were watching. Um... He, he finally got all the way out to them. And by this time, he knew they would kill him because he didn't belong with them. He wasn't, he wasn't as beautiful, as graceful at all as them. And so when he, he got near them, he saw that they noticed him, and he, he felt as though he was doomed because he wasn't one of them. And to his incredulity, they welcomed him in, in, into the the group. And, and he, he couldn't believe it. But as the, as the evening wore on, the, the, the lake became more and more still, and you could see your reflection in the lake. And the ugly duckling, for the first time in its life, saw its true reflection. It wasn't a duck. It was a swan. You need to see the reflection in the lake that is not you Um, A slave, bound to fear, failing, can't do it. You are Abba's child. And he spent the lifeblood of his son to make that true. This book, The Great Dance, by Baxter Kruger says... The gospel is not an invitation. The gospel is a declaration of the truth. It declares to us that we have been recreated in Jesus, that we've been delivered from evil in Jesus Christ, that we've been given a new relationship with the Father in Jesus Christ. The gospel declares to us that in the incarnation, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of the Son of God, we were taken down and cleansed of all alienation we were refashioned, recreated, born again. We were lifted up into the circle of life shared by the Father, Son, and Spirit, and there and then included in the great dance of the Triune God. Because it was no ordinary man who died and rose again and descended, it was the incarnate Son of God, the one in and through and by whom all things exist. So this person says, I was once teaching about that. And when I finished, a young girl came down the aisle crying. I thought at first I had said something that had broken her heart. I asked her what was wrong. She said, nothing is wrong, Mr. Kruger. When you were telling your story, God gave me a vision. I saw God sitting up on a throne. And there were all of these steps leading up to his throne. And there were people, hundreds and hundreds of people on the steps. We were all trying to get to God, but none of us could make it. We kept falling, and we could not get to God, and we were all sad. And then I saw Jesus. He walked over and gathered us all up in his arms, and he walked up the steps and put us in the Father's lap. You were one of them. Father, tell us that this is true in the depths of our hearts so that we might know it. Help us to leave our ledgers behind and freely admit we have nothing to bring to the table. We're empty and lost, and we so long to be in your dance. Help us to hear you tell us that you love us, you forgive us, and in Jesus we are accepted and adopted, and we are fit for the glorious dance. In Jesus' name, amen.